Our reading this morning from God's Word will be the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was with whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this, not because he cared about the poor, (laughs) but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what he put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. And when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Things haven't really changed that much, have they? (laughs) Well, I also wanted to bring to your attention that today is the national observance of the sanctity of life. And this goes in conjunction with our monthly outreach ministry. We're focusing on this month of the men ministry. And before I pray, I'd like to read just one other portion of Scripture and then pray for us. And there in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I'm to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verse 28 this morning. Ephesians 4:28. When is a thief no longer a thief? Throughout history, religion has primarily focused on obeying rules. Even many Christians today, for them, their religion is all about obeying God's rules. Now, obedience is an essential part of the Christian life. We talked about that a good bit this morning in adult Sunday school. You should desire to please God because you love Him. But Christianity is about us becoming like Christ. Your obedience will flow from the new self that God has given you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. As a new creation, your character is being overhauled so that it matches the character of Jesus. You become more like Christ. And then behave in new ways. For example, you begin thinking more about others. 
All of these traits in the put off, put on section of Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, all of them are other centered. And today's verse will be a great illustration of God's plan, his program for us to change, to show us this is how I want you to go about it. This is the way I want you to think about it. He doesn't merely want us to stop doing bad things. Yes, we should, but that's not the extent of it. For example, we must also care for others. Paul Tripp explained that one of our operational falsehoods, one of the, the things that we have in, in our, at the base of our thinking that drives how we behave, he said, is that sin is simply a matter of bad behavior. That, that's all it is. It's just bad behavior. <clears throat> Maybe we want to hold on to this idea because sin seems less sinful if it isn't some dark defect in our character. And in fact, it is a dark defect in our character. Or perhaps if sin is just behavior, it seems that we have more independent power to free ourselves from it. All we need to do in that scenario is to give ourselves with discipline to systems of behavior reformation. And we can free ourselves from sinful acts. But sin is not just a matter of behavior. This is why there are different goals between biblical counseling and all other types of counseling, even that which sometimes calls itself Christian counseling. This is why there's a different, the, the goals are different in biblical discipleship and some of these other forms of discipleship that are more man-made programs, those are often focused only on behavior. We need to understand the biblical model for change. And it is, as we've said, this put-off, put-on dynamic that we've been studying in Ephesians 4. It is not mere behavior modification. It is a radical transformation. We have to get that into our minds. What God is doing in believers is a radical transformation. Remember the riddle that Jay Adams used that I shared with you. When is a door not a door, kids? When it's a jar. Yeah. Okay, I know it's a goofy little joke, but... But it's, it's a play on words, okay? And and so, you know, play on the, the word ajar, you know, or make it into two words, ajar, right? And so you're, you're, he's playing with that, but it makes a point and it, it sticks with us, hopefully, because of its goofiness, okay? So a door is no longer a door when it is ajar. So in other words, when it is something entirely different, because a door and a jar are two completely different things, right? And so what... The reason he used that is to show that this is the biblical model for change. A person is no longer what they were before Christ when they become something entirely different, as different as a door and a jar. Okay, so that is that is what we shoot for. People becoming something entirely different. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17, I quote that one a lot. If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. And with that new creation, this new inner man that we have 
It is new and it has new desires. But we also learned here in Ephesians 4 that there are still those leftover aspects of that old man that we once were and we're not now, but that exist in our flesh, right? And those are the things that tempt us towards sin. And so our flesh still has sinful desires from that old life, and we have to put those to death. That's the put-off side of the put-off, put-on dynamic. Christ wants us to put off the old sinful desires and behaviors and replace them with new ones. We are being renewed. That was a part of that dynamic. Remember that? So there's put off, put on, but right in the middle of that, there's something else. That we are being renewed. And that's what we're talking about. So, when is a thief no longer a thief? It's not when he's in jail. Because he's still a thief then. He just doesn't have the opportunity to steal, or at least not as much opportunity to steal. But he's still a thief. He hasn't changed in at, at the core of his character. He must become something entirely different. So a thief is no longer a thief when he is transformed into a hardworking giver. It's when he has been transformed into a hardworking giver. You see, so what we're, where we're going with this, and this is the Bible's message for us as far as we're talking about sanctification and growing in Christ, is that it's not just becoming a nicer version of yourself. Okay, well, hopefully that, you know, comes along with it, but that's not the point. Okay, the point is that you be transformed that you become like Christ. Because before you were saved, as far as spiritually speaking, morally speaking, and even behaviorally, you're nothing like Christ. Okay? And so we have, we've been given a new nature, a new, this new man, as Paul called it, or a new self, and then is being renewed, transformed, and, and as it is, we're becoming more like Christ. That is our goal, to become like Christ. Not, not just that we, we get everybody to toe the line, everybody to keep all the rules. I mean, yeah, the, the world would be a, a nicer place and a more pleasant place if that happened. But all of those people would be still going to hell. And so what good have we accomplished? We just, okay, well, we've got the, you know, 70, 80 years that we might spend on this earth where it's just a little more pleasant. And but their souls are lost for eternity, and that so it is about us becoming like Christ, being transformed. And I want to say that even if you honestly have no issue with any kind of stealing, and we're going to talk about some different forms of stealing, but let's say today where you're at as a believer in Jesus Christ, you really honestly, this is not a sin that you you wrestle with. I still want you to pay close attention. Don't check out. It's like, okay, this one's not for me, you know, and I'll pray for so-and-so because I know it's for them. Not that. But what I want you to do is I want you to pay close attention and... As we walk through the text, let this picture form in your mind a picture of what this total transformation is going to look like and how it is different from mere behavior modification. Because, you know, we we could just buy into Pavlog and just get everybody, we condition everybody to where, you know, you, you just act right. 
or whatever other version of, of, of psychology, psychiatry, and everything else out there. We just pick one that maybe seems to get people to, to you know, be nice to each other. I want you to, to get this picture in your mind of what it is for a person to be entirely transformed. And then I want each of one, each one of us to examine our lives for one of, of the sins that we wrestle with. And we all have plenty of sins still to deal with. So you've got plenty to work with there. Pick one of those and think about, okay, how do I need to be transformed in this area? How do I need to become more like Christ in this area? Not just to stop doing the bad behavior... But what does it mean for me to be transformed in this area? Okay, as we're going to see. And so, this this pair, put off, put on pair, about stealing is a wonderful way, a wonderful thing for us to think through because it's, it is just so obvious. As I said, to go from being a thief to a hardworking giver. I mean, do you see... How polar opposites those are. The thief is self-centered. The thief is like, it's about me. I don't want to work. I want to just do a little bit of something so I can get something for nothing. To the person who works hard and gives. Do you see? It's not just that they stopped stealing. So they, they were stealing. They stopped stealing. But see, the transformation is not done. Now they're a hard worker. And now... They give. Do you see how, how, what, how vastly different, how transformational that is in their character? And that's what we want to come away with. So first, the put-off part of that pair. Put-off stealing. This is the third pair we've come to in this section of put-off, put-on. Verse 28, if you'd follow with me there. Paul says, Let him who steals... Steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good. Why? In order that he may have something to share with him who has need. So we are to put off stealing. Stealing is forbidden or was forbidden in the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. And the words here for stealing, there's two words in this verse for stealing. Uh, they're, they're basically from the same word, uh, klepto, in Greek. And, you know, we, we use that as short for somebody as a kleptomaniac, right? As somebody who is given to stealing. It's just, you know, it's like, you know, they say, I can't help myself, I just steal, you know. But the, the verb klepto, uh, the Greek words, uh, simply refer to taking that which doesn't belong to you. So there's nothing fancy about it. It's just stealing. We, we all know what stealing is. just taking something that doesn't belong to you. So, the, some of the people in Ephesus had come to Christ. They had been thieves, but they still have a struggle with stealing. And that may kind of surprise us a little bit, but it shouldn't. And the thinking then is very much like it is today a lot of times. It's like, okay, well, I'm out of work. So, the only way to provide for myself or my family is to steal. And, and I know the world tries to justify that, but it's stealing, it's sin. Um, so, some of these people were still stealing. And Paul tells them to stop. And that's reinforced by the, 
the words, still no longer. You see, he wouldn't say that if they had already stopped. They were still stealing. And he tells them, steal no longer. You need to stop that. Now, there are some less obvious forms of stealing in our day. Uh, cheating on taxes, stealing office supplies, cheating your employer uh, on your time, your effort that you put in. Uh, if you're a business owner, cheating your customers. Uh, you know, we romanticize this idea of stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, you know, taking from the, you know, the Robin Hood thing. And I know, you know, cute story and stuff like that. And It's sin. You know, I mean, you're taking from someone that belongs to them. And, and so, now, should people help others? Yes. But it still doesn't mean that you get, you could steal from them. Okay. Um, there's, there's another thing I want to call out here. Uh, some of you might have heard of uh, it. I heard about it a few years ago. Uh, it's kind of a bizarre mo- moment, movement. Uh, but it's getting some uh, promotion in conservative circles. Uh, it's called the Sovereign Citizen a Movement, and they have different names for it. And what they do is they teach you how to try to get away with uh, paying valid fines, penalties, licenses. Um, you know, so you don't have to get a, a license for your pet or whatever kind of thing that your municipality might require. Those things are valid, and the God has told the government you can do that, and they try to rebel against that. that that's just a form of stealing. And I'm surprised when believers uh, fall for that. But we need to be careful and think about these things that just because somebody is promoting it that maybe you respect, you need to think, okay, is that really biblical? Is that something that I can do? Believers must put off the old habits of getting, obtaining, without working. Okay, Taking from someone what belongs to them. So, we must put off stealing. What is he to put on in its place? Put off, put on. Again, verse 28. Let him who steals steal no longer, put off, but rather let him labor performing with his own hands what is good. So, the second point is to put on hard work. Like, this put off, put on is like clothing. Okay, you put off, you take off the habit of stealing. You put on the habit of hard work. This word for labor means actually to grow weary. Okay, you probably didn't want to hear that, right? Um but that's what it means. It doesn't actually mean to work. The next word is means work. It actually means to grow weary. Literally, putting it together where, he, where it says here uh, in this translation, let him labor performing. Okay? Literally, it's grow weary working. Okay? Grow weary working. This word for to grow weary describes activities that require physical exertion. Things that result in exhaustion. Okay, that's what he's talking about. That's what work. That's what we, you know, we we sometimes we, we that's why we call it work, right? We say that, and uh, because it's hard. That's what he's talking about. This word is used sometimes of being tired, becoming tired from a journey, from a physical struggle that brings weariness, and then as here, 
work that causes exhaustion. So, Paul is calling the redeemed thief to put off obtaining things by little effort, you know, where it does just a little bit in order to con someone out of something, to scam them out of something, to just flat out steal from them. Um, that little bit of work, you, don't, you need to put that off and put in its place labor that is exhausting. And he says, I want you to do that because that's what believers do. Believers work, and their work is often exhausting. Work is important for the believer. Paul taught that if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Second Thessalonians 3.10 now, there are people who are genuinely unable to work. And then what about this concept of retirement? Okay, those there are some exceptions like people that can't work. Uh, we'll talk about that at the end. I'll come back to that. And then also retirement, I'll come back to that as well. But for now, I want us to work through the text. What does Paul have in mind here? Well, in verse 28, let him labor performing with his own hands what is good. Okay. This word for performing is the basic word for doing work. It just means working, okay? So, grow weary working. Uh, and this word for work is it stands in contrast to idleness or useless busyness, okay? So, he's saying you shouldn't be idle. You should be busy working. Each believer ought to be working with his own hands. Now, He's talking about manual labor there, and he's not saying that that's the only valid form of work for a Christian. It's just that was the most common form of work uh, back then, and so it serves as the perfect um, contrast to stealing. But, you know, I started thinking about it. I was like, okay, what kind of work is there where you don't use your hands? I couldn't think of any, but maybe there are some. But, I mean, even if you're in a call center, you're still, you know typing and stuff, or if you're a programmer, you're typing in your computer, you're still using your hands. So you work with your hands. Everything we do, whatever kind of work, is working with our hands. The point is that it's not stealing. It's the opposite. You're actually doing something. You're working. Paul cited his own example in this elsewhere. Um, Acts twenty thirty four. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And he said in 1 Corinthians 4.12, We toil working with our own hands. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business and work with your hands. The point is that believers are to obtain what they need by doing honest work. And some translations actually say that. They do honest work. He calls that work... That which is good, okay? And this Greek word, agathos, it, it refers to that which is moral and beneficial. You see, and he's drawing a contrast again. Because when you steal from someone, you injure them. You say, well, they, they're so rich they didn't feel it. Maybe they didn't. You still injured them in God's eyes, you see. And what he's calling us to do is that which is moral. It is beneficial, not harmful, not injurious to other people. If you've been transformed, he says, do work that benefits your family and then others as well. And so here now, it leads us to the purpose of this work. And there's an implied purpose to provide for yourself and your family. But he wants to stretch us to the point of, I'm going to show you how total this transformation is. So, 
Next, in verse 28 again, let him literally grow weary working with his own hands, doing that which is good. Why? In order that he may have something to share with him who has need. So third, we, we put off stealing. Second, we, we put on hard work. And then third, hard work will enable you to help those in need. So he's, what he's trying to do here is he's showing how far the transformation of the thief is going to go. And we ought to be able to take that pattern, that model, and, and impose it on, on any sin that you wrestle with. That, that's you know, true of you. You might not be a thief, but there are other things. There's some sin, there actually is more than one, pick one, and, and apply it. So, okay. So what does it mean? It means put off, stop doing the bad behavior, put on, put on good behavior. And then how far does that go? Whereas here it is giving, meeting needs. And so remember the mental picture I was encouraging you to form in your mind. That, that's, that, that's what this is. Is seeing how far the transformation goes. Because, it, because it's transformation. It's not just a, you know, just kind of an outward modification, a behavior modification. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's stop doing the bad behavior and let's do a good behavior, or, or just stop doing the bad behavior and nothing else. That's the world. Christ is saying through Paul that we need transformation. The former thief, now like Christ, works to also provide for people in need. And the word share here, it means to give a portion of, or give a share of what you work for. So he's not saying, as you know, some people in church history have said, okay, you have to, you have to always, everybody has to give everything, you know. And, and he's not saying that. It's a share, it's a portion. And he chose a word for giving here that's different from just the normal word for give. Because it means to give a portion. Okay, so we're not required to give everything we earn to give it away. We're required to give a portion. <clears throat> those who benefit from our work or those who are in need, they lack something that they truly need. Believers in the new church, uh, act, uh, Luke tells us in Acts, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as any might have need. And then Luke later said, There was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And some of those people might have been thieves at one time. And now they're giving. Probably... All of them had been self-centered at some point or before they came to Christ. They were focused on themselves, taking care of themselves only. You know, that's implied. I mean, you, you take care of your family. You provide for your family. Okay, Paul said if he didn't work, he didn't eat. Okay. But he's also saying that we need to give. That's what trans, being transformed means in this regard. As they were hardworking givers. Are we living up to their legacy? Are we helping others among us in need? 
And the focus here is on the needs of believers. Uh, there's a number of passages that I've given you on the slides uh, in addition to the ones we already read. But then think just about our context here in Ephesians 4 in this section. Verse 25, one of the, the reason he gave is that, you know, speak truth with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. The emphasis here is on the priority is on taking care of the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, that's where it comes first. Now, there's a place for helping non-believers. It, it's, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. You should take care of believers first. If there's somebody in our flock that has a genuine need, we need to take care of that first. And then as God enables us, we can help others outside. But this is our primary responsibility. God has promised to provide for his own people through other members of his family. That's why he puts us in a family. We're there for each other. We're there to help each other Okay, when the needs arise. Paul's instructions here show the transforming power of the new covenant. You see, the old covenant could only punish those who transgressed it. Now, that punishment was, was valuable because it served as a deterrent. But it, that's as far as it could go. The Old Covenant had no power to bring about a change in a person so they became like, so that they became like God and had this change in their inner character. The Old Covenant couldn't do that. Okay? The New Covenant includes not only the moral commands in the Old Covenant, but it goes further. The New Covenant can redeem a thief and turn him into a hard-working giver. See, that's the beauty of the new covenant. And that's what we are under. And so, the new covenant has this power in it. The power of the gospel, the power of the cross. And so, the person who was a thief, he's no longer a drain on society. He is now a contributor to the church community. John Stott wrote that, None but Christ can transform a burglar into a benefactor. That is, he goes from being covetous to generous. That's the transformation. He was covetous. Ah, they have something I want, so I'm going to take it. To being generous. They need something I have, so I'm going to give it. So, okay. I promised I'd talk about retirement and, and then the example of what about when our health limits our abilities? Well, as we age, we suffer, or, or, sorry, as we age, or if we suffer serious changes in our health, it is normal for our work to look different than it did when those things were not true. We might not have an official job, for example. When we retire, that's the whole point, is that the official job's done, right? <clears throat> We won't work as many hours. We will slow down. And and as as I'm, you know, getting close to that, uh my body's telling me, if you don't slow down, I'll slow you down. Okay? And, yeah. And in retirement, it's okay to enjoy God's blessings more than we once did. Okay? Okay? And that we had time for. That's that's all fine. But we should continue to serve God and His people. You see, there, there shouldn't be a time where we think, okay, I have zero work. I, I, 
I don't have to work at all. That we shouldn't think that way. That that isn't, you know, that isn't the biblical model. Now, it's not the biblical model either to think that I have to have a full-time job, you know, until the day I die. You know, some people might choose to do that, but that's not required of them, right? While our ability may be less, and it will be, we should still help those in need as we're able. And and that's going to change, probably. And for some, because they have more time or maybe they have more resources, they might be able to do more. But then there are others who their resources are less and their time is maybe less and their energy level is less. And so it's going to be uh, less, but it's not. That's not wrong. We should help those in need as we are able. And sometimes... Just to kind of go, let's say that you're not able to do what we would traditionally call work, and you can't do any of it because of your your health. Um, you can pray, and we always need more prayer. Okay, GBC always needs more prayer. The people that you see sitting around in here need more prayer always. Okay, and never. We're not ever going to say, okay, guys, okay, it's enough prayer. You know, kind of back off, that's not ever going to happen, okay? And, you know, if you've ever really tried to take prayer seriously, you know that it's work, right? And so, use your spiritual gifts. And we could go on with all kinds of examples, but, um, you know, just encouraging others. There's all kinds of work that can be done. And again... I'm not saying you have to, you know, you're retired and so now you have to pray 40 hours a week. I'm not saying that. But I'm also saying don't pray 15 minutes a week, okay? Um, That shouldn't be true anyway. Meaningful effort ought to go into whatever work God has ordained for you. Be a hardworking giver. That that's what this transformation is all about. That's the picture that I want us to take away from this. Um, this this verse, for two reasons, is a great opportunity for that. One is, you know, it. I didn't have to go into the Greek and to explain what stealing is. We know what stealing is, right? It's straightforward. But also, this is such a perfect example of that transformation process. To go, as I said, from stealing, being a thief, to not stealing, to working hard, to giving. There's a long ways in between those two poles. But that is what the gospel does. That's what the transformation of us becoming like Christ does. See, that's how we have this this testimony to the world and to one another of the transforming power of God. You see, if if all the gospel could do, if all the you know what we do in church, all the stuff of this, if all it did was the same thing that pick your favorite you know secular psychiatrist and you know or psychologist or you know theorist. And, and what they could do, if that's all it could do, then why would anybody 
you know, want this. It's talking about being weary, right, in your work. Let's avoid the weary stuff and just do what, you know, Maslow said or something. You know, it's like we want them to see that what God is doing in His people is making them entirely different, as different as a door is from a jar, right? And so this thief, when he has been transformed, in a lot of ways he's totally unrecognizable. I mean, have you felt that? The people you used to hang around with before you were saved, and then when you're around them again after you've been saved, and especially as the Lord has worked and transformed some things in your life, you, you feel uncomfortable, you know, and, and it feels awkward sometimes. Because you're kind of like, you're not, you're not who you used to be. Well, that's the point. I'm not. And so... That's where Paul is going with this. And this applies to all of these, but this is such a beautiful illustration. And I love this, the simplicity of it to show the vastness between those two poles, between the thief and the hardworking giver, right? And so that's what we're all about. That's why we, we promote biblical counseling, because that's the only type of counseling that actually seeks this. It's the only type of counseling that preaches the gospel. Because you have to have the gospel before you get here. Okay, so you, I've had people come to me um, many, many times, not only you know as uh, functioning here as an elder in the church, but even in my secular job, when I had that for years, lots and lots of people would come. And they're, they're like, okay, you know, marriage is falling apart, can you help me? You know, or this is happening, can you help me? Well, I can help you, and so let's talk. And so I'd start talking. You know, and, 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 and invariably I'd find that they weren't a believer, and so I would talk to them about Christ. No, 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 I, I, I don't need the, the Jesus stuff. I, I just need you to help me with my problem. It's like, you're not going to be transformed until you, you have Jesus in your life making you into somebody new. Because I'm not, I don't have, I mean, i got some little practical things that can only go so far, though. You know, it's not going to transform you. And so often they didn't want the transformation. I don't want to be different. Is that Turkey I'm married to that, you know, that needs to be different? You know, that, that was their thing. You know, and I'm like, no, it, you need to be different. And so we need to be in our discipleship and our counseling and our one anothering. Stretching each other to this point, right? Don't settle for anything less because that's not the gospel. That's not the work of God. That's not becoming like Christ. Somebody who's just a little bit nicer version of themselves, they're not like Christ. They need to be someone entirely different. As we come to the Lord's table, as we come to the cross... I want us to think about this aspect. You see, I think Romans 6 here. And I often will quote this, you know, when, when I baptize someone, Romans 6, 4. There's this spiritual truth that when we come to Christ, we 
In his death on the cross, we who are believers spiritually died in him. Okay, we were, we're in him, so we died in him spiritually. And then we also, we were buried spiritually, buried with him. That ties to the put off, right? But we were not only buried with Christ. We didn't only die with Him, buried with Him, but we were also what? Raised with Him. But there, but it, Paul's not done with that, right? Because he says, raised with Him, what? Unto newness of life. New life, right? That's what Paul is getting at here. New life. This new way of living. That's what this is about. And so as we come to the cross, it isn't just, you know, we, we kind of joke about it, but it, this is a good way to think of it. It's not just fire insurance. It's not just what keeps us out of hell. It is that, but that's not, and it, it shouldn't be the, the whole of it for us. You see, when we come to Christ and put our trust in Him, It is so that we will be raised up and able to walk in new ways that are not like the way it used to be. We're not the same person. You know, and, and I just off the top of my head, thinking about um, Augustine. Some of you heard the story, whether it's true or not, not sure, but it's a good story. Um, you know, he, he had lived with someone he wasn't married with. Married to, and he went away, and then he got saved. I'll give you a short version. And he comes back, and and she's like, you know, Augustine, Augustine, you know, and you know, he just keeps walking, and she's like, Augustine, you know, and finally, she, Augustine, it is I. And he said, yes, but it is not I. He wasn't going back to that sinful lifestyle because he was transformed. Now, whether it was a good true story or not, I don't know. Probably something. I mean, he was a different man. At that point, are you a different man or a different woman having come to Christ? That is what this cross is about. That we might be raised up to walk in newness of life, an entirely new kind of life.